This is not a happy moment right here when you have to see me. <laughs> Jamie's upset, went over to the chapel. He said, they're not saying amen the right way. We have to keep taking another run at it. And uh, so now you have to deal with me. And so you all have detention today. No, I'm just, I'm just, in fact, my wife said to me, she actually shared a quote with me when she said, if you're gonna preach this morning, uh, at our soul care last week, which is uh, a time about once a month where our staff comes together and uh, Jamie just ministers to the staff and she pulled a quota. I wasn't there. I don't know why I wasn't there, but uh, she says a great quote. It's attributed to a Scottish um, pastor and theologian from about a, a decade or not a decade, but a century ago. It says, be kind. That's the quote. I'll finish it. Be kind for everyone you meet is in a great battle. Yeah, simple quote, but it's true, isn't it? Everybody meet the person who cut you off this morning on the way to church. There's a great battle going on there. The people that you meet in your neighborhood, you yourself, you're in a great battle uh, in this world. Where does the battle begin? It begins by trying to figure it out, isn't it? Uh, doesn't it? I mean, you try to figure out where did I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going? What is the purpose that God has for me in my life? And we have this tension going on all the time uh, in our world, trying to figure those things out. And then we've got to deal with each other on top of all of that. And so we're in a series, as Troy mentioned, called Adjustments. What are the adjustments that you make? A wise person will, on occasion, stand back and take inventory of their life. And they'll, they'll make certain course corrections toward what is true, uh, what is right, so that they can live their life, as Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, to the full or more abundantly. And if you're here this morning and, if you, and you've committed your life to Christ, you're gonna realize, as Jamie said a couple of weeks ago, that committing your life to Christ is only the beginning. Sometimes we, we say that sinner's prayer and we make a transaction with God that punches our ticket to heaven and we think, okay, now I cruise for the rest of my life. God gives me blessing after blessing and then we get heaven as sort of the cherry on top of the Sunday. And, and as you go through life, you figure out pretty soon that that's not exactly how it works, don't you? You realize there's still sin. There are still tensions. I don't get along with everybody the way that I hoped I would. So we're, we have these adjustments. A few weeks ago when we started, Jamie went to John chapter 12, verse 1. Do you remember the passage? It was a beautiful passage about Mary who took a very expensive perfume and she just pours it out. And the social justice people or the social just part of all of us says, no, 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 that could have done a lot to feed the poor. And yet she did what Jesus said was the right thing. Why? Because, and that was our first adjustment, was for us to move from a need-based sort of thinking or giving with our lives to a God-based. Do you remember that adjustment? Have you been working on that a little bit? To really allow the needs that you meet with your one life God has given you, with your time, your talent, your treasure, and your touch to flow out of your relationship with God rather than just looking at a list of needs and checking it off and saying, I've done my Christian duty. Did you see the difference? 
And you remember a couple of weeks ago, Jamie talked about um, another adjustment for us to make. It was when Jesus comes riding in to Jerusalem on a donkey, the triumphal entry. We all remember that, the great Easter story that we, we, we tell, or the Palm Sunday story that we remember every year. He comes in, and what is his followers thinking at that time when he comes in on a donkey? They think, this is awesome. Finally, Jesus is going to come and he's going to get the Romans out of the way and he's going to sit on the throne and we're going to go back to the good old days. You ever think like that in your own life? You ever look back on the good old days and misremember how good they really were? Right? That's exactly the nation of Israel. You only have to read in the book of you know, Samuel and the Kings and Chronicles to realize that the good old days weren't all that great. And we've got proof right here in our Bible. But what was the adjustment? Jamie said that little adjustment for you and I to make was to shift from what Jesus can do for you, do you remember, to what he has done for you. He didn't come to make our life better. He, he said with perspective, yeah, with purpose, but not to make us more comfortable in this life, but to give us an eternal perspective. What he was about to do was to lay his life down for you, to pay a price that you were condemned and destined to pay on death row for you. Jesus laid his life down for you. That's the message of the gospel. And the adjustment was for us to focus on what Jesus has done for us to give us an eternal perspective. We're living in eternity. For those of you who've committed your life to Christ, starting now, moving on out to eternity. And then last week, the adjustment had to do with hating your life. Remember that word, suke, to hate, or better, to love less. That when you put all of your eggs in the basket of this life, Jesus says you're gonna lose it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? And so when you love this life less and you focus on eternity, in a sense, losing your life here, you're gonna gain it all. What was that adjustment? Loving life to losing our life here. And today we, we come into another adjustment uh, on the course for the life that Jesus intended us to experience. And let's look at that passage. If you have your Bibles, open them to the book of John, chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. I think it's on your outline. It'll also be up here. There it is on the, on the screen, and we'll read that together. And let's look. I think this is a really uh, meaty passage for us to get a lot out of today. So let's look at our passage beginning in verse 27. Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. You're gonna to wanna to hold on to that whole theme of glory. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, well, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what, by what kind of death he was going to die. And so the crowd answered him, you know, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of man. They were referring back to the Old Testament law that they had and thinking that Jesus was going to be in the throne forever. And he went on to say to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. The light being Christ, right? And walk while you have the light, lest darkness 
overtake you. And the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons and daughters of the light. These are Jesus' last public words. John knew the beginning and the end when he wrote this book. And so writing this down is like somebody on their deathbed saying, the money is in the, and you, you want to tune in on that, right? His last public words to the Jews in the crowd and the, and the seeking Greeks that Jamie mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you'd want to tune in to what his final words were. And can you imagine if you missed it? And I think there's a lot in this passage that we're looking at. You can imagine the confusion they're trying to reconcile with what Jesus is saying with what they know, with what they have. They didn't have the complete 66 books of the Bible that we had. They had the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They had some of the prophets, <clears throat> the law, and they were living by that and trying to interpret it based on all that. Jamie already pointed out that like us, they also wanted to have the good life, the Messiah who would sit on an earthly throne and return Israel back to those good old days. And he begins this section of his discourse with people saying he's troubled, he's talking strangely. He's troubled, but he's focused on the one purpose, which was what? It was to glorify God. Jesus' purpose here was to glorify God, and he states it succinctly there in verse 28. Father, glorify your name. <clears throat> what is that all about? That word glory in the original language really means to ascribe honor to someone or something, to put the weight of what you have toward that. In essence, coming under honoring something. And Jesus said, my purpose is to glorify God. Everything that you notice in the Bible that God does, as you read this, everything God does is all about bringing glory to himself. In the life of Jesus, in the New Testament, some of you remember, not some of you, probably all of you, the most famous scene in the Bible, the Christmas scene. We're coming into Christmas. We're gonna celebrate. We're gonna remember in that passage where the angel appears to the shepherds and comes with an amazing announcement unto you this day is born a savior a Messiah is born. And that passage says, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God. And what were they saying? This word, glory. Glory to God in the highest. With that glory, that angel said, on earth and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. Glory to God, peace toward man. The angels were sent at the beginning of God's incarnation through Jesus to make one thing, one thing very crystal clear, and that was that the Son of God has come into creation to display the glory of God and to reconcile God's people back to him, back to him that was separated in the Garden of Eden, this sin in this fallen world, this plan, Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, the lamb that, whose blood would be shed to reconcile us back to God. I like the way Piper says it, to make God look good in salvation and to make man glad in God. God's voice speaks from heaven two other times in Jesus's life. Do you remember where they were? Certainly this time in John 12, but back in his baptism in Matthew chapter three, when Jesus is baptized, we hear a voice from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. 14 chapters later in Matthew 17, when Jesus is transfigured on the mountain, validating who he was and who he is, that same voice comes down and says the exact same thing. This is my son whom I love. 
With him, I am well pleased. And then God adds these words, listen to him. God glorifies his son each time. You and I glorify God every time we ascribe honor to him. We glorify Jesus by loving him and humbly surrendering our lives to him. And so when we come to this passage here in John chapter 12 today, there's no surprise when we hear Jesus praying that this would actually happen at the most important point of his earthly life, that God would be glorified as sinners are rescued. And that's great news, great news, this whole idea of glory. Because way back in the beginning of John, if some of you have been with us uh, about a year and a half ago, Jamie started working his way through John. In the very first chapter of John, in verse 14, we read these words, and the word became flesh, the word being Jesus. In John 12, it's the light. And so God comes to man in the flesh, and he dwells among us. And we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Isn't that amazing? You know what's coupled with glory? Grace and truth. Think of that for a minute. What does our world desperately need? Grace. People are running around. Everybody's in a great battle. People are looking for someone just to throw upon them grace for the things that have happened to them, for the choice after choice that they've made trying to play God. And salvation begins when God glorifies himself by bringing the light into the world and we receive it and we receive with that grace. And, and truth, truth is what we're desperately seeking for. It. And I can't find it on Google as much as I try to Google things, right? There is so much information, but we are duped into thinking there is truth out there on the internet or if you just believe something hard enough, or if your belief is just sincere, or that's really good for you. I like, if that works for you, that's good. That's not truth. There's one truth, an absolute truth, and God's word gives us the most accurate, and you can test it and take it to the bank and a sermon for another day, but we need to understand that God's purpose is to glorify himself. Our purpose is to glorify God with our lives, and it's full of grace, and it's full of truth, and in Corinthians, when, when Paul wrote, he said that we are treasures or we are jars of clay that carry this light. We carry, we are instruments of grace and truth with our lives. Those of us who have committed our lives to the Lord. And so from this passage, it's clear that God's purpose is to bring glory to himself. Jesus wants to make sure that happens in his life. And we see that in everything that God does in his life. In this passage in John 12, as you look down, you'll see there are four ways that God really does glorify himself. Here in this passage, he judges the world. In verse 31, Jesus says, now is the judgment of the world. We think it's later on, but in one sense, it's now. For those of us who've committed our lives to Christ, you've been judged. Satan can't have anything in his file on you to take you to court anymore. There's nothing to bring against you. You are no longer condemned. And so God glorifies himself in judging the world. Those who don't know Christ will one day stand before him and they will stand condemned. God glorifies himself in verse 31 when Jesus says, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Who is that? That's Satan, our enemy, right? Now that's going to happen. You say, well, he still has power for a time. But in a very real sense, God has glorified himself by defeating Satan. He, his death on the cross secured that. God glorified himself in verse 32 when Jesus says, when I am lifted up from the earth, I'm gonna draw all people to myself. God glorifies himself by drawing us to him. The death of Jesus Christ awakened a generation of people that drew themselves unto the Lord. 
And lastly, God glorifies himself by being light. Glorifies himself by shining his light to everyone who will see it. In Philippians chapter two, we read these words when God referring to Jesus says, therefore God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's gonna happen. God is going to one day make sure that all people recognize who he is. His light is shining for everyone. And our purpose is to bring glory to God through that. We bring glory to God by following. And where I wanna go for our last few minutes, just to talk about that, and to go back to a verse in verse 28 that we might have missed, just like they missed, and that is as we bring glory to God, we put ourselves under his authority. We follow him. We listen to him. And let me ask you a question. How's that working out for you? How well are you doing? I think if we're not careful, we run the, the risk of being like the early followers who made the Bible work for them, who made church work for them, who made religion work for them. And our focus really may just be a little too much on me and on this world today. And I hope we're challenged to make an adjustment, as you'll see in a moment, to following God in such a clear way. I remember when I was in Canada. In Canada, people grew up playing one sport, which is hockey. Everybody got it right. So the Canadians are not even back yet, and you guys are getting it right. I wanted to play hockey on this team that was just amazing. They had, they had gone all the way to the provincial championships the year before, which is the provinces are about the size of 10 states. And they'd done so well. And this coach I respected so much. I respected him, right? In a, in a very sense, I gloried in this coach. I honored him. I wanted to play for him. And when I made that team, surprisingly, um, got on the team, I did everything he asked me to do. I listened. And when we listened and when we applied what he told us to do, guess what happened? We played better. And the times that we didn't listen, we didn't play so well. There were times when I didn't listen, and that was never a good thing. You're sitting on the bench, someone calls your name, and you don't listen. Guess what happens? You stay on the bench. And I think, in a sense, that happens in our walk with God. We, we, we come to church. We want to be honoring to him. We love to be part of it all. But for some reason, we stop listening, or we check out or we think we're doing religious things. And that leads us to our adjustment today that's found in verse 28. Look back at verse 28 where Jesus says, Father, glorify your name, that's his purpose. And then God speaks and what happens? He says, I have glorified it and, and I'm gonna glorify it again. And what does the crowd do? They said, you know, I think it might be raining here. It thundered. And there were the spiritual ones among the crowd who said, well, maybe that was a voice of an angel so they could make sure they had their bases covered. And that phrase, if we're not careful, we might gloss right over it as well, but it really begs for a pause. And that's what I want to do on this for the next few minutes is to pause on what God was saying. He spoke and the people completely missed it. Or no, they heard something, but what did they do? They dismissed it. You ever heard God speak in your life or you, something happened, you thought, oh, that, and then you quickly dismiss it away. It happened then and it happens now. They had a form of godliness. They had a certain amount of the law and the, and the prophets. And they were doing what so many of us do today. They learned to make religion work for them. And many of the religious leaders and the, the Pharisees of that day, they had taken the law and they made sure that they didn't have to change any comfort in their life whatsoever. And they actually used it to oppress 
the poor and the marginalized, the disenfranchised, and they sort of lorded it over them and made sure that their lives didn't have to change all that much on this earth. And you know, Jesus spoke some of his harshest words to those religious leaders of the day. And like those people, we tend to do the same thing. Many times we miss what is right in front of us. Missing the opportunity to be part of God's purpose, part of his plan, because we're so concerned about our plan. And if you're like me, sometimes you spiritualize your plan enough to think that it's actually God's. Has God been speaking in your life and you might be missing it in your life? I, I think of Paul in Acts 17. You may want to jot it down and read it later. Do you remember that famous sermon? Mars Hill, he's speaking to all those wonderful philosophers, the Stoics, and then the Epicureans. They stood there and they loved to hear each other and they would listen to the ideologies and the philosophies that they would share and and they'd actually create little idols and altars to all the different gods that they just learned about. And and they even had one uh, made out to an unknown god just in case they missed one. Can you imagine the scene? You remember what Paul says in Acts chapter 17? He says, you guys are looking so hard for something that is right under your nose. God is not far from any of us. In Acts 17, they missed it. And this is the adjustment that I wanna see that Troy mentioned today, and that is that as we look at our life mostly through the natural, God works through that, but learning to make an adjustment to begin to consider that we might recognize something through the supernatural in our lives. That's the adjustment, adjusting enough to consider that maybe God does speak during this supernatural time. Most people I know in my walk have never really heard an audible voice from God. I know some of you have. Some of you are like, yeah, I have. And, And that doesn't mean it hasn't happened. When Jesus cried out to the Father, God spoke in a very audible way, referring to the death that Jesus was about to face, and the crowds missed it. They didn't miss it, like I said, they kind of dismissed it, but where was their focus? Their focus was on hearing that and then trying to explain the nature of the voice rather than listening to what the voice was saying. Do you see the difference? And I think in our culture, we have the tendency to do the same thing. Something happens, we chalk it up as coincidence, we pray for that person, for them to be healed, and they go to the doctor and the tumor's gone, and we kind of go, well, that was great, and we kind of forget that God literally and likely healed all of that, and we try to explain rather than experience what God just did. A God sighting, sometimes we call it. A moment where God showed up in their midst, and they're so preoccupied explaining it rather than hearing it. They didn't connect the voice of God to what he was saying. You see, God works in both the natural and the supernatural, I mean, you go to a, a developing nation outside of the U.S., they don't separate physical and spiritual. They're all together. But in America, we're so good because we're so academically inclined. We love to explain and figure things out. That's good. The science of that has taught us so many things. But we've jettisoned in a large way this whole idea of spiritual and supernatural and miraculous in our lives. And God speaks through both of those things. In fact, you know, it's interesting as you read your Bible, you know, it's a lot of it, it's kind of in the mundane, the story of somebody's life, in the mundane of their life. And yet God loves to come into the natural and burst into it with his supernatural presence over and over and over again. Whether it's through a word from heaven, a miraculous healing that takes place, something that says this world is filled with God's 
presence. And the question that we need to wrestle with this morning is will we be discerning enough to recognize when it happens? And I wonder how many times in my life I've been just like the people on that day. Have you thought about that? Maybe you thought about it this morning. I've been so preoccupied with me. I get preoccupied with making sure my theology is right. I, I get here and Jamie goes, hey, I want you to speak. And I'm all of a sudden, I'm nervous. I want people to go, yeah, he got it right. You know, that makes you nervous. I want to show up at church and to think, oh, he's the good pastor. We love him, all that kind of thing. And I get so preoccupied with all of those things. I wonder if I've dismissed a movement of God as thunder at times in my life. Or maybe, worse yet, I've spiritualized something enough but never really allowed God's supernatural presence to speak into my life. Maybe I thanked God for the parking spot that opened up at Safeway the other day at the front. I don't know. But I wonder. No, I'm actually confident I've missed it many times in my life. Can you relate to that? I think we all can. I think every one of us. And, and that's what the adjustment, again, for us to focus is on is just to make that adjustment, be tuned in in such a way that we don't miss it. And we have... You know, 66 books of the Bible were character after character in the Bible got it sometimes, but many times they missed it. And God said, put that into print. I want some people at Scottsdale Bible Church in 2016 to read those words and to be challenged by them because people missed it back then and, and we can miss the same thing today. How did Israel miss it? They missed it all over the place. They went through the cycle over and over of rejecting God, forgetting who he was. Remember when they were in Egypt for 400 years of slavery and God shows up in a powerful and miraculous way and he delivers them through all these plagues? Incredible, amazing. And so then he takes them on this circuitous journey through the desert and they wind up at the Red Sea. There was, they could have gone a way that would take them right to the promised land in two weeks, but no, God takes them so that they're backed up on the Red Sea. And, and what happens right away? They forget. They look at Moses. They see the Egyptians coming. They can see the dust from their chariots and like, why did you bring us out here? <laughs> and they misremembered the good old days of Egypt. Remember they said, at least we had food to eat on like, no, you didn't. In fact, they were making your work harder, but they misremembered. And they were panicked. They were out of control. And what does God do in his mercy and his grace? Again, he parts the Red Sea. They go through on dry land, and there they are, and they get hungry, and they get thirsty. And what happens again? They forget. And they cry out to God. At one point, they create a calf, a, a God, and yet God feeds them. He shows up over and over again. And he's done it in their lives. He's done it in our lives. We dismiss it. We forget it. The very Messiah who was prophesied to come hundreds of years before he came shows up and they dismiss him as a liar and a lunatic and hang him on a cross. They missed it. How did the early Christians miss it? Those early followers of Jesus who are ready to fight for him to lay down their lives and yet when Jesus speaking intimately to them about his own death Peter stops him and rebukes him. He misses what Jesus, what God is saying. He misses it out there. Supernaturalness that Jesus was communicating of his spirit in us. In fact, he said it this way in John 16. He said, I need to go away. He said, this is the truth. It's better for you that my physical presence leaves this earth because it's to your advantage. For if I do not go away, the helper, and who is the helper? The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will not come to you, but if I go, I will send them to you. Supernatural. 
You know, I, I think we get God. I think we get it. We get God all powerful. Romans 1, you only have to look around you at creation to realize there's intelligent design here. A God who created all of this, we can grasp that. We grasp Jesus because historical records tell us a man named Jesus walked on this earth. There's more proof of that than there is to some of our own more recent history. There's proof that he died, he was buried in the ground, and he appeared to over 500 people in a resurrected body. There's proof to all that. I think we get that. We love to celebrate that. But this spirit thing still remains a challenge for a church like Scottsdale Bible Church, doesn't it? And so it's good for us to consider this adjustment today. I mean, sometimes I hear some of you, and I've said the same thing. If Jesus were just right here, things would be a little better. Preaching would be better than Jamie's. And if he was here, it would be really cool. But Jesus said, it's better that I go away for you. It's supernatural for those of you who have committed your life to Christ. A supernatural event has taken place. God's spirit dwells within you. Hard to understand. Easier to explain it away. Easier to say there's a coincidence or give a nod to God when something happens. They missed it back then. Peter and John, in Acts chapter three, one of my favorite stories in Acts. Remember in Acts one, Jesus gives them that great command to go from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, and I will be with you. And then he delivers on his promise when the Holy Spirit at Pentecost comes in quite a powerful, miraculous way. And then in Acts chapter three, what are Peter and John doing? What we always did. It says in Acts chapter three, they went to the temple at the hour of prayer. Well, that's what Jews did. They, they did what they were supposed to do. There was a prescribed hour. They'd go to the temple and they would pray at that hour. But this time, when they went up to the temple, something was different. They went and they noticed a man who was lame who had been brought there every day for over 40 years. They'd been going up to the temple for many, many years and never noticed the guy. And now they notice the man. But up until then, they completely missed it. A spiritual, supernatural experience happens in their life. The Spirit fills them, and now they're tuned in and notice a man who's in great need, and God does another miracle. The Israelites missed it. Early followers of Jesus missed it. How do we miss it today? Where we see God breaking in the very natural, everyday parts of our lives, God breaks in relationally, circumstances that we go through, and how might we be missing it? Some of you have said that to me. We had a, a God moment. You ever had those somebody called aha moments or we say things like God showed up. God showed up and it was amazing. I remember the experience of when Karen and I were uh, not wanting to leave where we lived. We lived in, uh, I, I've shared this before, in Northern California. We were two earthquakes away from oceanfront property and I get a phone call. <laughs> and Jamie calls and he says, are you ready to come in from the cold? Like, yeah, it's a little foggy here. And we had worked together years before, and I said, no. And he said, uh, will you pray about coming and just working with us together? We'd love to have you on our team. And, and, and as I began to consider that, as I began to tune in to what God might be saying, which is what we need to do to hear from him or to notice, I sought godly counsel. I, I prayed. And God began to do things, like Phoenix commercials would come up on our TV. Honest, I'm not kidding. I'm like, <laughs> what's that all about? And then my son, I'd never thought about coming to the desert. My oldest son, in, with this all was in a matter of two weeks, wound up uh, going to a school down here in, in, uh, in Phoenix. I'm like, oh my goodness. 
And then my family, who I'd never see because where we lived in Northern California, some of you know Humboldt County, it's not just the marijuana capital of the world, though it is, it's true. Great place for a church, great church up there. But it was also very difficult to get to. You know, it's hard to fly into, there's windy roads. And so my, fa- my parents, my in-laws, our family, we never saw them. I think I saw my parents three times in 10 years. And, but you know, lo and behold, they had started vacationing at a new place that year and they were vacationing down in Phoenix. I thought, okay. And, and that winter, that December, before we came down and began to even talk, my youth pastor at our church came and said, we're doing a mission trip. We'd like you to drive. We'd like you to come down. We're, we're doing an inner city thing. Are you ready for it? In Phoenix. You know, and so sometimes God speaks miraculous. Sometimes God's like, hello, hello. God does things and sometimes we miss those things and I'm glad I didn't miss that. God moments happen in our lives over and over again. And here's the reality. It's really not a God moment at all, is it? It really isn't an an aha moment. It's not a, a moment where theologically we say, well, God showed up because the reality is that God's always been there. When I've been stuck in my life, and I've been there too, in, in marital strain, relational things, physical challenges, job challenges, I remember there are times in my life where I just felt like, I'm not gonna make it. Have you been there? You couldn't even envision yourself one month from now getting there. You know, it was that circumstance of being stuck that actually awakened me back to tuning in to the Lord. And as I tuned into him, I realized that he was always there to begin with. He has always been there. It was a promise that he made. There is nothing where God just shows up on a whim or gets conjured up like some genie in a bottle. You know, it's it's amazing how we think about that. Exhibit A. Some of you that are younger might not have a clue what this is. But it's a, it's a radio. And let me tell you, to illustrate that point, right now music is playing. Can you hear it? No, you can't, right? There is music playing right now all around us. Why can't we hear it? We can't hear it because we're not tuned in here. But if I turn this on, that music that's playing right now, we might be able to capture it. And I remember as, as a young person trying to play with these, some of you just say, well, just download the app. We didn't have it back then. And we would take the antenna and we would put it up. Remember that, trying to get your favorite song on? And then you try to like lean it all over the place. You know, it's like, it's almost over. And you try to, you know, be on one foot. Like, don't move, don't move. Hold on to me. I'm standing on the edge of the roof. Hold on to me. And you got the tinfoil all going on up there. Just an amazing thing. Trying to tune into that song or tune into what you were hearing. And as you turn the radio on, you realize there's music playing all around you, don't you? And, and as you actually try to tune that in, they're not saying anything bad, are they? I better turn, I better turn that off. There's Spanish people talking all around us right now. Did you notice that? all around us and you couldn't hear it because you weren't tuned in. But I think you get the illustration, right? I mean, God's spirit is always moving. God is always around us. He is there and our job is to tune in. Sometimes we tune into the wrong things. Have you done that? 
You're trying to experience God. You're trying to get that in there. And you, you think, if I, just, um, if I just try to behave better, just try to be nicer to the person in line, if I just try to go to church more, even give more, and you're saying there's still static on the line. Have you been there? And God says, oh, just tune into me. Tune into what I want to do, what I want to be in your life. Some of you said, I've been trying that for so many years, and it's not working for me. What does the Bible tell us to do? Stay tuned in. It's not a decision you make at one time. It's not looking for God to show up because he's there and we stay plugged in to what he's doing. Every day, you and I make decisions of whether or not we're going to tune in to God with our lives. When we go to work, when we get up, a few chapters from here in John 15, Jesus is gonna say it 11 times, tune in, tune in. That's my translation. He uses the word abide in John 15. Abide in me, I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me. 11 times it says, remain in me in the New International Translation. Remain in me, remain in me, remain in me. And when the going gets tough, remain in me, remain in me. In John 17, two chapters after that, Jesus is gonna pray the great priestly prayer. God, help those people, help the followers who are in this world, but not of this world, to persevere, because this world is gonna hate them. And that's why in John 12, Jesus says, this light is with you for a little while longer. And tuning in, by the way, doesn't just mean listening. It means are you applying it to your life? It's not a perfect science, but are you applying that to your life? Second Peter 1.3 says that his divine power has given us everything that we need in our lives. Are you tuned in to what the Spirit might be doing in your life? Let me suggest a, a few different ways that we might tune in in the natural and be tuned in to see how God might be moving and, and, and how we might even tune in in the supernatural. Let me suggest there's five different ways and just quickly, one is in relationships. We kind of hinted at that. Relationships. You know God might be speaking to you through your kids? You say, not my kid. You don't know, you don't know my kid. You know, Richard Blackerby co-authored a, a book with Henry called Experiencing God. And he spoke at our marketplace ministry about, uh, about six months ago. And he actually told a story about one of his kids, I might have shared this before, who weren't walking with the Lord. And what do we do when our children aren't walking with the Lord? We pray for them. We pray that God would bring them back. We do everything we can to get them to come back to the Lord. And as he tuned into the spirit in his life and as he sought godly counsel with his dearest friends and as he sat with that need and that desire of God to move in his child's life as if God stepped in to that natural world and, and spoke to him in such a way, he said, you know, Richard, I love your son. I created him. I love him way more than you could ever love him. And I'm actually doing a work in your life through him. There's a paradigm shift. As he tuned into God, Richard's prayer began to be, God, I get it. Would you use Daniel, his son, to change me to be the kind of man that you want me to be to do a work in his life. How might God be using relationships? How might be entering into that, whether it's a tough marriage and you want to dive down and get sucked into that death spiral of anger and victimization and escape when God's saying, just sit with this. I'm doing something here. Consider that God might be saying, how about circumstances in your life where God might be moving and we miss it? It's why James can say, consider it joy when you're going through stuff. Because God is doing a work in helping you mature. And as you persevere, his work will become complete in your life. Are you a fix-it person? Are you a denial person who runs away from circumstances in your life? Do you get angry at God? Do you threaten to go to another church? 
What is your way of MO of handling circumstances in your life? Or I love the way one person said, rather than praying for God to take away the storm to give you peace, rather pray that God would give you peace amidst the storm. Because in this life, we're going to have trouble. Jesus promised it. And that's the adjustment. Is Another way of saying is rather than trying to look to God to make our circumstance better, more to our liking or to, to fix society, how about adjust to looking for what God might be doing in your life? To sit with that. We're in such a rush to figure it out, to get an answer, to take a pill, to run from this, to blame it on somebody else when God is working for you all the time. How about the word of God? How many times have you read the word of God and, and, and missed it? I've opened this up and I've said before, I used to be more proud that I read this for five days out of seven. Don't ask me what I read, but I read it for five days out of seven, right? Have we taken a tool and we've made it a rule and we're missing what God might be saying through his very words in the Bible to you? How about prayer in your life? I don't know what your prayer life is. Do you pray with people and then forget what you prayed for? I love the person who, who makes a prayer journal. We've made a prayer journal and they go back and they say, oh, I remember praying for that person, and then to see how God might have answered that. What a great experience for us to take our prayer life and to attach it to where God might have, might have revealed himself as we tuned in and how he might have responded to that. And then how about this Holy Spirit deal? Like I said, we get God and we get, the, the, we get, we get Jesus, but this whole Spirit deal is kind of scary, isn't it? Because you listening to that still small voice, it's giving you that little nudge. You're not sure and neither am I. And neither was Paul in Acts, by the way. You look, sometimes they got it right. Other times they, they missed it a little bit. It's normal. You listen to that still small voice. You tune into his word to godly people. You, you listen and, and God might give you the means and then you do that. But it's a very, very scary thing to move into the spiritual realm. I'm gonna invite our, our, our worship team to come back up right now. And we're gonna look at this, uh, this idea of the spirit. It's a really awesome song. Troy was sharing with me last week. I thought this song is so good to challenge us as we sit with this adjustment and ask ourselves, am I trying too often to dismiss away things that God might be saying to me in the natural world? Am I trying to dismiss a supernatural experience that I don't uh, really know how to explain, but I'm gonna write it off as coincidences. Have you been there in your life? For a church like Scottsdale Bible Church, it's a scary thing because sometimes we have made the wrong course correction and we've thought knowing the Bible was spiritual maturity. Knowing the Bible is amazing. It's fundamental, it's foundational. You need to if you wanna understand the revealed God that comes into this world. But Scottsdale Bible, we run the risk of missing the Holy Spirit moving in our lives. If we don't take the time to be still and to stop and to tune into what he might be saying to what he might be doing, listen to this song.